0: This is Mark Morin. You are listening to New Directions in Film, a 206 podcast interview series. Today, I'm speaking with Isabel Sandoval, the director of Lingua Franca. Isabel, welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. Thank you so much for having
1: me on 206. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thank
0: you very much. Now, Lingua Franca, your movie, which you directed, you wrote, you produced, you starred in, you pretty much everything. Um, it's been very well received at film festivals and by film critics so far, myself included. So congratulations on the success of the movie so far. Thank
1: you so much. It's been quite a ride. And I actually just saw on social media that exactly a year ago was when I arrived in Venice for okay. the role world- year of Lingua Franca, and um, as of yesterday, it's now streaming in Netflix in North America. So it's been
0: quite an exhilarating um, roller coaster ride for the film. Oh, that's amazing. Well, congratulations on the one year as well. Now, for people who don't know the movie Lingua Franca, what is this movie about? Yes, so Lingua Franca is about Olivia,
1: an undocumented Filipina trans woman who works as a caregiver for an elderly Russian Jewish lady in Brooklyn, New York. And as Olivia pursues a path to citizenship, she becomes romantically involved with the adult grandson of the Russian Jewish lady, and he happens to be a slaughterhouse worker but he is not initially aware that she's transgender. So that is the basic premise of Lingua Franca.
0: Now, you yourself being a trans woman from the Philippines and living in this America that we know today, you know, I imagine this is a very personal story for you, both as a filmmaker and as a human being. Why was it important for you to tell this story and what was the inspiration behind the story?
1: Certainly, I think you know, approaching it as you mentioned as a Filipino trans immigrant living in the U.S. and also as a filmmaker who's trying to get my foot in the door in the industry and get noticed. I thought a story like this with its timely themes, you know, that touch on immigration and the transgender experience, which also hit very close to home for me. It's an opportunity for me, given that premise, to also stamp my unique sensibility and perspective in this kind of story. I feel like, you know, given its premise, audiences are expecting a certain type of film, one that for one might be indignant or angry or loud or a little didactic, but I wanted to take the audience to a surprising and unexpected emotional and intellectual place when it comes to you know, experiencing Olivia and her world, because my goal as a filmmaker is to invite the audience to think more deeply and critically about the world that we live in
0: today. Yeah, no, one of the things that really struck me while watching the film was just how human she was as well as all of the characters really so it seems like that was a real point of emphasis for you is to really express that humanity of the characters. Certainly and you know I started the film it feels very
1: still and quiet and the camera is just there observing Olivia waking up and going through the rituals of her day looking after Olga and there's yeah like you said we're just allowing ourselves to be immersed in this woman's world as she exists, and just this.
0: Now, the movie is set in the, the Brooklyn, right? Yes. It also seemed like you really have an intimate comfort level with Brooklyn itself and how you filmed it. Like, it almost feels like part of, like, Brooklyn is a character in the film. Can you describe that a little bit of just how you approach that aspect of it? Certainly, but, you know, I mean, Brooklyn is
1: also a very heterogeneous borough because just like queens there are different immigrant groups and ethnicities Mm -hmm. in different neighborhoods of Brooklyn so I think there's not one monolithic idea or definition of Brooklyn culturally um, Mm -hmm. and ethnically like for example there are orthodox and Hasidic Jews in Brooklyn it's also kind of a Caribbean community in Brooklyn. There's Italians, Mm. Russians. So yeah, that's what I've found to be fascinating in that these various immigrant neighborhoods have retained their distinct personality and character, especially even the older immigrants who have migrated here 50 or 60 years ago have have stayed true to the traditions and customs of their home country. As an immigrant, living in brooklyn and experiencing the diversity that exists there i was just fascinated most especially by the russian jewish community down in brighton beach i live in crown heights which is about half an hour north of brighton beach but crown heights is very different from brighton beach because it's more like the hip edgy gentrified williamsburg lena denham's girls yeah and i felt like Whenever I would go to Brighton Beach and go to the boardwalk, I feel like I'm not just whisked away to a different neighborhood, but also into a different country and time. It feels self-contained somewhat in the 1950s and 1960s. And I thought it was a perfect location for me to showcase a sort of hidden or secret New York that we rarely get to see in American cinema.
0: Now, another focus of the story for you is the fact that Olivia is an undocumented immigrant. So there's a kind of a subtext that plays out through the course of the movie of her being afraid all the time that she could get taken by the police or by ICE. How much of, did you really want to tell of that side of the current political climate with this movie? Certainly because I do have friends who are in that boat, really
1: anxious and scared about you know their situation. the immigration status here in the U.S. and I wanted to make a film that felt true Mm -hmm. our time you know I mean we rarely get a film with this subject matter featuring this specific character and therefore these kinds of stories and voices seem invisible when you have the Avengers everyone is talking about Tenet so I felt that I had to tell this story and it is what I want to tell, but also at the same
0: time, inject my own sensibility and aesthetic and style. Let's go back in time a few months to when the pandemic first really became a reality. What were your first thoughts as a filmmaker as the pandemic really began to take shape in our world? Yeah, I was quite distraught
1: and also very worried, primarily about my mother, who is in the Philippines. She is in her 60s and yeah, I mean, here in the US, I was just worried mostly about her well-being. I say that Lingo Franca is not autobiographical, but I feel like my phone calls with the mother character in the, are kind of lifted straight out of my, my real life. But yeah, and also on the one hand, there's that, and you know, just friend, filmmaker friends who have films that were supposed to be here at South by Southwest
0: mm-hmm.
1: and Tribeca and their premieres is getting cancelled. Right. But I'm also, of course, worried about everything that's going on in terms of the lives that are at, at risk. Personally, I'm an introvert.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so
1: um, The isolation and the solitude was actually something that I welcomed. When I was touring around the world to show Lingua Franca at different festivals, and meeting, you know, different people throughout the day. At the end of the day, I would just be wiped out and exhausted. So I need alone time to be recharged. And that is exactly my experience right now during the pandemic. I've been recharging myself for the last five or six months. And I actually managed to watch a lot of films. I started a quarantine movie club. Yeah, friends from Portland, San Francisco, New York, and we would meet every Monday night to talk about movies. So that's been um, one of the highlights of my pandemic. And <laughs> I've a script for my next feature. And I managed to pitch a TV series to a high-profile cable network, and they, they're buying it. So oh, wow. I've been very lucky so far in that my pandemic has been quite productive. And of course, Lingo Franca has been acquired by Ray, just dropped on Netflix.
0: So we're in the middle of the global pandemic and all of a sudden protests begin here in the in the States with, you know, the George Floyd incidents and everything that else that happened from there. And the entire world takes yet another turn on top of the pandemic. So what were your thoughts as, a, as the protests started to take shape? I thought it was definitely necessary. You know,
1: police brutality and also um, violence against African-Americans has been a problem for the longest time in the U.S. I mean, I'm an immigrant from the Philippines. I've only been here for over 10 years, but that's an issue that I've become conscious of and very much aware ever since I came to the U.S. And aside from you know, African-Americans, minorities, like trans women. There have been quite a number of trans women of color that have been murdered this year. Right. It was just kind of a collective, um, a collective expression of indignation and being fed up. I hope that it doesn't, that fervor and that vigilance doesn't just stop until the protests are done. We still have the election coming in November. And even after that, You know, racism, xenophobia, bigotry are not problems that are just going to go away when we elect the next president. It's something that we have to keep vigilant about, not just systemically but individually as people.
0: Do you feel that this new activist sensibility that we're all becoming a part of and being aware of, do you feel that that is having an impact on you as a filmmaker? Certainly, I've always
1: thought of my filmmaking and my art as my form of advocacy and activism. My 2nd feature apparition, which is in Tagalog, which I shot in the Philippines, is set in 1971, in the year before the declaration of martial law, by then-dictator Ferdinand Marcos. And it's about a group of cloistered nuns who find themselves under siege as the world around them becomes increasingly turbulent and tumultuous. And yeah, there was a lot of censorship. I was born well after that period. Mm -hmm. But during that time, during martial law in the Philippines in the 70s until 1981, there were a lot of activists, artists who were critical of the government, who were, have gone missing. And I think that's also why when I finished writing the script for Lingua Franca, Shortly after Trump got elected, I really had to think um, very much about whether to pursue the project because like many minorities living in the U.S., I was plunged into an emotional and existential crisis, just feeling vulnerable and targeted. But I spoke with my producers and they said that if there's a time to make Lingo Franca, that time is now, and they were right.
0: Yeah, it's definitely perfect timing for this movie to come out, just with some of the, like we talked about, the immigration aspect of the film, and just shedding a light on trans culture and what it means to be a trans person in the world. You know, now, like we talked about with the pandemic, with the protests, everything going on, you know, we're living in a world that's sort of upside down from what it looked like six to seven months ago. From the technical aspects of making a movie, do we even know what that looks like right now? You know, countries and economies, and industries are slowly
1: reopening. Like in France, their movie theater is open on June 22nd. My movie actually opened there on July 1st. And so far, it's now late August. There hasn't been a resurgence or a second wave. I think until there is a really coherent and sound strategy by the US federal government to contain this virus, it's going to affect all the industries, including the entertainment industry and you know film and TV productions. For me I'm lucky in that I'm just now in the development phase of my film. I just finished writing the script and we're now just showing it to producers so I don't expect to start rolling on the film until about a year from now.
0: Yeah, I know in talking with different filmmakers that seems to be the status quo right now is having meetings, developing scripts and doing that, that side where you really can't do much of the actual filmmaking. So it'll be interesting to see when filmmakers will be actually able to be on the set with the full cast and crew. And it's like you said, it's just it's just unpredictable. Now, going back to your movie, Lingua Franca, you had mentioned that it's now available on Netflix. And, you know, for everyone listening, I highly recommend that you watch the movie as soon as you can. Now, Isabel, what does it mean to you to have this story available to such a wide audience on Netflix? It's
1: so thrilling and very, very happy that this film, which is very personal work that I worked on with a small crew of about 40 people, is now getting seen very widely all over North America, um, especially at this particular moment. And given the current political climate, I think you know I wanted to make a patient, thoughtful, quiet film, about a seemingly invisible life in the popular, the American popular consciousness. And I hope that the film allows
0: people to see the world through Olivia's eyes. People are gonna sit down, they're gonna watch the movie. The credits start rolling. What's the number one thing you want them to feel? And what's the number one thing you want them to understand about the film?
1: The one thing that I want them to feel ultimately is empathy for for Olivia. I know that the climax, you know, and the scene where she makes that fateful decision whether to accept or turn down Alex's offer of marriage might seem puzzling and counterintuitive to some people because it goes against, you know, conventional notions of, you know, this is an immigrant without papers, and this would be an easy way out of her problems. And I want to cultivate that, you know, on one hand, a confusion or being unsettled because that's when the audience, I think, will really put in the emotional and intellectual legwork to try to understand where Olivia is coming from. And that although she might be a trans woman who's looking for love or an immigrant who is undocumented, those two sociological labels and markers do not encapsulate her experience and her personhood and that it compels people to dig deeper into her heart and into her psyche to try to understand her. And I hope that people find the experience as complex and layered and as meaningful as I did making
0: the film well isabel thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me and all the best to you in the future thank you so much mark and stay safe (laughs) (laughs) you as well thank you thank you this is mark morin with isabel sandoval on the 206.com podcast series new directions in film next week's episode will debut on tuesday september 15th and will feature director bao tran whose seattle-based film the paper tigers just had its world premiere at the fantasia international film festival Please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on any of these interviews. And if you can spare a couple minutes to leave a review, i would really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the 206.com podcast.